Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast. Now, in today's episode, we're going to discuss the importance of what active intentional leadership is and what you can do to develop it in your own life. Our guest today, Paul Carolyn, has 40 years of experience in the hospitality industry and knows how to create financial and sustainable growth. Over the last 10 years, Paul has served in various C-suite positions, including CEO, COO, and Chief Development Officer. His experience spans multiple segments in hospitality, including branded chains that include over 40 plus stores, airport and managed services concessions. Now today, we'll be discussing the importance of trust, core values, and individuality in the workplace and how they can help you become a more effective leader. Now, before we get started, please click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media, at Glenn Yopis. Let's get started. In today's rapidly changing world, it's more difficult than ever for organizations to keep up. That's why I'm excited to invite you to the Navigating Uncertainty Summit on October 14th at Clemson University. You'll learn from the most innovative thinkers in a day of inspiration and make cross-industry connections that will help you adapt to the modern world. Register now at 2022summit.ageofpersonalization.com. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Welcome to the show, Paul. Great to have you. Great to be here. So, Paul, um, let's face it. These topics mean a lot to you, in particular, growth and sustainability. Now, you strongly believe that organizations need to put their people in a position to achieve that growth and sustainability that they seek. How do you approach growth and sustainability when navigating unknowns? Well, Glenn, I'll give you a real-life story. In uh, February of 2020, I was the chief operating officer for Genghis Grill and Mongolian Concept. At that point, my uh, previous boss, Vince, Jim Vince, uh, gave notice that he was going to retire. We had just finished a year in 2019 of remodeling eight stores, high growth numbers. I mean, we're double, we're double digit growth. We finished a prototype and we opened up a brand new restaurant uh, in, in December of 2020, which we, or December 2019, which we thought this is going to be 
you know, lights out growth. Uh, we had in, in that story of Genghis Girl at that time was a turnaround where we were reworking the system to grow this business, give people new opportunities. It was it was incredibly exciting. And I doubled as chief operating officer and chief development officer. Well, Jim retired. And so the ownership came to me and they said, Paul, we would like you to be president and CEO of Genghis Grill. We're going to split the company in half. We have two other brands. We want you just to manage Genghis to keep this growth going as we are headed. So that was February of 2020. Next month, I remember sitting in the, in the break room with Jim as he's getting ready to leave. And we started reading the news about this COVID thing. And we're all good. You know, I remember asking, you think we ought to be worried about this? And they go, well, you know, we, we really don't know much about it. Not really sure. Uh, and Jim goes, well, you know, whatever it's going to be, you know, I know you guys will be able to handle it. Well, fast forward, it comes to March. And at March, at this time, <clears throat> the world was shutting down. And now I'm faced with what do we do? We drew as much cash into the business as we could. But I was faced with the daunting task that our sales had dropped about $350 a day per store. At that point in time, growth has now changed to let's sustain ourselves. Let's, let's survive. And we don't even know what we were going to survive yet. But on March 16th, I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was I need to furlough everybody above the store except for seven people to save the company. So I called all the leadership team in. Now, I had just become president and CEO, and I said, this is what we're going to do. I need to furlough everybody, including myself. And I want Will. I need you to stay. Will looked at me and said, what did I do wrong? I said, you didn't do anything wrong. I trust you. I need you to run this. Tom, I need you to stay. And I went through the list of people, and we sat down, and I said, you know, this is hard. But we don't know what's going to happen. I knew at that time our cash was going to run out April 11th. And that would give us enough money to pay for benefits. So I made the, the speech that all CEOs make and was heartfelt and all that. And then as we left, I asked all the executive team to come back to the conference room. And I said, look, we need, I need your help. We can't leave Will and the team here by themselves. So I'm coming back to work on Monday. And I need to know who else is coming back to work on Monday. And they're all looking at me and say, Paul, I think you just let us all go. And I said, technically, no, I, you know, we furloughed. And they go, well, I'm not getting paid. I go, well, no, but furloughed. Uh, I said, but I need your help. And I think these restaurant managers need your help. We got to save this company. I said, so if you're going to come back, get on the call Monday morning. And back then we had just regular conference calls. We didn't have Zoom. We weren't able to do this. And uh, I'm listening to the music. And one by one, each leader came back on the call. And they said, Paul, we're all in. And I said, okay, let's go. We're going to reopen our restaurants in Texas, the dining rooms, May 1st. And they asked, where did you get that number? That date, I said, I just made it up but we have to have a goal. And collectively, this is where we're going to go. And that's where it began, where you really started to realize 
Sustainability has now changed to survival and sustaining people's lives. So through that process, over the next XYZ months, we contacted all our vendors, negotiated new deals to, to sustain the company. Uh, we filed for PPP back in the day. We didn't know what that was. Uh, we were blessed that we, we received our money on April 9th, three days before we went out of business. And we were watching the money. It was, it was literally like, you know, it's a wonderful life. They put the money in the safe, maybe it'll multiply, but it was like, this is crazy. So it was an unbelievable experience, but I was driving around all the restaurants. So I didn't, we didn't lock down. I went to the restaurants myself and they were looking at the, at the restaurants. I had two people working, a manager and, and, and a cook. And they see me walking in the door and they're going, Paul, what are you doing here? I said, if you're working, I'm working. And from there we went to, well, we're, we're going to feed everybody. Anybody in our company who doesn't have a meal because they can't work, come to the restaurant. We're going to feed you because you need to eat. And then we stretched it to before you, everybody gave masks and all that to, we were feeding the, the hospitals. My, my daughter is a COVID nurse. I knew what she was going through. So we're going to feed the nurses and the doctors. And then we started feeding other restaurant employees because they couldn't. And then we started feeding our rewards members who said, if you can't eat and you can't afford, here's a code, put it in and we'll give you a bowl of food. And through that, we met as a team every day and we talked about what's the next move. And it became personal. I remember leaving one restaurant and the cook was crying saying, Mr. Paul, you've been able to feed my family. And I said, and, and, and the manager says, Paul, you're not getting paid. I don't want to get paid. And I said, that's not it. You're going to get paid. Don't worry about me. I'm worried about you. If you can eat, that's what it's all about. And we sat down with the general manager and we shared everything. I showed them all the cash we had every day. This is where we are. This is how much money we have. What do you need? And it was one manager, Alario. I'll never forget it. He was a very proud man. He ran uh, one of our locations. And I laid out in that meeting saying, guys, I have no more money. I can't go to the bank. They're not giving me any more money. There's no more PPP. I get you all out of the bank. I need you to make as much money as you can so we collectively can survive. And Hilario, a very proud man, sat back and he just looked at him and he says, Paul, we got your back. And you fast forward in the fall, <clears throat> my wife was doing a, a food drive and we were talking to the inner city school system. And they said, you know, we, we don't have any coats for the kids. And I thought about that. And I said, I probably have employees that don't have coats for their kids. So I came in that night. I drove my drove driving with my, my uh, wife and I called our CFO and I said, Tom, I want to buy coats for the kids in all the restaurants. He goes, oh, we're trying to pay electric bills. What are you talking about? I said, well, I don't know how much a coat costs. And I literally asked my wife, how much does a coat cost? She goes, I don't know, $25 at Target or Walmart. I said, $25 a coat, maybe $5,000. We spent $5,000 on lunch, for God's sakes. We're buying coats. So we bought as many coats as anybody who needed. And I said, I don't care if they're nieces, nephews, grandkids, it doesn't matter. If a kid needs a coat, we're going to buy them a coat. But we didn't just buy a coat and say, come try it on. We gave them a gift card to Target or Walmart or Kohl's or wherever they went. He said, let them go pick out the coat that they want. 
And we got to the end. And we didn't lose one manager. We didn't lose one person on the executive team. We finished the race. And, and it became a, a, a faith-based thing to me. I remember meeting with my chief marketing officer and I said, you know, this is so personal. I don't care what's going to happen to me, but we care about what's going to happen to them. So that's leadership in the unknown. And we, we dealt with all the other things between. We thought with all the weird stuff that happened during COVID, but that, that to me was the epitome of leadership. What a great story. Paul, and you know, you just beautifully articulated why during times of uncertainty, as we're navigating the magnitude of unknowns, we should be more interconnected and interdependent on each other. Instead, we're doing the opposite. And yet, you've proven that when you instill a mindset that success comes most to those who are surrounded by people who want their success to continue, they will step up. Absolutely. But in the end, they do because you, got the, you took the time to get to know them. You took the time to get to see them. And this is what leadership is all about about how do we drive sustainability and growth concurrently? And we view these two things as two distinctly different things when they're all one of the same, right? How do we best serve a much more informed and knowledgeable individual? Sure. So this takes me to active, intentional leadership. I mean, you just gave us a great example of it, but how do you define that and why does it matter? So active intentional leadership is an interesting thing. Out of COVID, you know, I, I retired and I reflected back and like, okay, so, you know, you're, I had, I, everybody has their own style, their approach, but I started to realize leadership, you know, for, to put it in one way, it's a full contact sport. You know, it, it's, <laughs> it's the real deal. And, and it's active, it's always moving, it's always forming, and, you're, and it's intentional. If you choose to be intentional or not, your team, your staff, your organization, the, the public, they're viewing anything you do as intentional. And it's and active intentional. Mm-hmm. So first, it's, it's a moving, growing uh, uh, organism of leadership. But then it's based on, in my view, three areas I focus on when I, when I teach this. One is trust. You have to build trust with individuals. No let's matter- stop there. Let, Paul, let's just stop right there, if I may. Uh, trust. You know, it seems like we're learning what listening, what it means to trust people. All over again, what is fundamentally changed, in your opinion, about trust? I think what's fundamentally changed about Trust is people make it complicated. Trust is not complicated. Trust is the relationship you have with an individual once you get to know them, but it's also based on who you are. Yeah. If you deliver 
and you mean what you say and you say what you mean, and then you walk those steps and people see it, they trust you. But one other thing that's important, and it's a really critical word, it's called grace. Once you have established trust within your organization, and it's very hard because everybody isn't going to be a fond person of you because you may be changing things. You may be disrupting their, their life in, in, in the wrong way because they had a good thing going, which wasn't a good thing for everyone else, but you might have disrupted that. But, but if you can gain trust when you do make a mistake, then as a leader, you will always say something, do something, you will make a mistake. The organization will extend grace to you because they'll go, it's okay, that's Paul. But if they don't trust you, they're not going to extend any grace. They're going to throw more dirt on your grave and try to bury you. So it's a different experience. So why is, you mentioned it earlier, I'd love for you to expand on it. So why is trust so complicated? It's complicated because people overthink it. It, it's complicated because it, it, it's built on your own personal core values and your beliefs, but it mostly it's built on your actions, hmm. how you go about your day at all levels. I am very blessed to be able to come from very humble roots. So I can meet my partner and I were just talking about the other day. We both can talk to the dishwasher and I also can present at a board meeting, but I don't get out of, whack because I'm meeting someone on either end. To me, we're all just people. And when you treat people as people, you have a different relationship. You don't, you know, so many times you meet a celebrity and people are all like, oh, how are you? And I'm more like, so how you been? What's going on? And what do you like to do? I want to get to know. I want to, you know, what's behind this? So I get to get to know you. And that's a different relationship than just having a handshake and a photograph. I, I don't personally ever get my photograph taken with a celebrity unless the person is actually a real friend because I want a picture of a friend, not a picture of a celebrity. I, I can look at them online. So continue with active, intentional leadership. So trust sure. is one. What else? The next one is what helps you build your trust once you've established your process, how you behave, how you act, if you're delivering results. The next one is individuality. And, the, and, and you were, your book was the, the, the inspiration for what I couldn't put in my own words, but it was right around the time of uh, the, the fatal shooting of George, uh, uh, I've got the wrong name. I Mr. Apologize. George Floyd, it's okay. It's George okay. Floyd. So I was sitting down trying to decide as a CEO in the midst of COVID, what do we do? Because everybody and their brother is throwing all sorts of things into the public about this is what we're now doing about, you know, diversity and inclusion. And I found your book and I found your video and I sat down and watched the video. I don't know how many times. And I took your quote that inclusion solves for individuality and individuality, individuality solves for inclusion and both will stop for diversity. And I go, that's the answer. That's what we're doing. So I don't need, what, what am I going to say to my staff and my team if that's what we're already doing as a team? Because we're trying to all get to know each other. And I sat down with my vice president of human resources and I said, this is it. This is what we need to continue to do. I don't, 
I don't believe I should be putting out a message just saying I'm getting to know my people better and understand why we're different and appreciate our differences. So where I went was I need to get to know everybody better. I need to get to know David is in one of my restaurants as a general manager. He's he was at the time he was a, 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 a young man. His parents came to the country illegally. And now he's a dreamer. What is that like? And I sat down and said, David, you know, we talk. And I said, you know, tell me about it. he's getting married. He has a couple of kids. I said, what's it like to be a dreamer? He says, it's hard. I go, yeah, I got I had no point of reference on that. But I listened enough that I could be empathetic and I could appreciate it. And I found that he didn't have medical benefits because his attorney told him he couldn't have benefits. They said, no, you could have our benefits, David. That, that's, you know, government benefits. I said, so let's get you insurance. And, and people will go, you know, ask David, well, was, that's Paul. He goes, yeah, that's Paul. He's the CEO. But I know Paul. I trust Paul. And I trust David. I would reach out to David. Alario, the gentleman I referred to at the end, I went to see him when I left. And I just went to thank him. And he goes, you know, I want to thank you because you treated me as a man with information that nobody ever shared with him. He's you know a first Paul, generation. You know, Paul, you saw him. For who he is. Right. You allowed him to unleash his deepest levels of vulnerability. You garnered trust because you created an opportunity for him through benefits that no one ever thought could be possible, including the individual himself. What's the message here? Why is individuality so important in leadership? It, it goes back to your statement. <clears throat> if we get to know everybody as an individual right now, you know, and as you, as you say, we're caught in tribal behavior. It, it doesn't make sense to me, but I understand it. When I grew up in the 80s in, in corporations, we focused on diversity. We focused on, you know, counts within the tribes. But we didn't focus on who do, who's in the tribe. How are they different? What, what are their needs? Are What, what do we have in common? Uh, we also didn't focus on how we all fit into the tent. <laughs> we excluded people from the tent because, well, you weren't. You, you, you're not part of the, the minority businesses tribes. You know, you, you, you may be a white male. Well, we're all individual and we all have things in common. And as I sit down and talk with people and you start sharing your own personal experiences, when I share that, you know, I, uh, it, it, I just shared this story the other day when I worked in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, the first thing my my landlord asked me, he says, you know, where are you from? And I said, Northern Virginia. And he goes, really? I said, how far north? I said, about New Jersey. And then, he, then the second question, this is in the 90s, so you got a timestamp. And he says, what church do you go to? I go, Our Lady of Perpetual Health. And he goes, so you're a Catholic? I go, yeah. He says, you're a Catholic Yankee? I go, yeah. He goes, boy, that dog don't hunt down here. I was excluded, and my family were excluded from the white community in Memphis, Tennessee. But I was embraced by the black community. 
I'm walking through our restaurants, trying to meet everybody. And an older woman, Miss Mary, reached up. At, she was black, grabbed me by the arm and said, uh, I hear you're a Catholic. And my head goes, oh, Lord, this <laughs> is running rampant. And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said something that has stayed with me the rest of my life. And she said, I've been praying for you to come. I'm a Catholic, too. And I said, oh, there is a God. And she, she and I became close personal friends. And I was, my wife and I and all my family, we're fully embraced into the black community. And that's where I stayed. My best friend in that community was a gentleman by the name of David Porter, who wrote Soul Man and Hold On, I'm Coming for Stacks Recording. And to this day, David and I are very close friends. Politically, we're completely opposite, but that's okay because we appreciate our differences. And he knows if he called me, I'd be on a plane tomorrow to help him. And I know if I called him, he'd be on a plane to help me. But we appreciate who we are as individuals and as people, and we embrace our differences. And it's okay to be different. We don't have to agree on everything, but we agree that each one of us are important. That's what matters. So, Paul, as we wrap up this conversation, give us the third point around active, intentional leadership. The third point is your core values. Everybody has them, and they grow over your time. But the seed in the beginning is how you were raised. What experiences you had with your parents, you know, as you watched your parents, what they did, not what they said, because nobody ever listened to their parents growing up, but you watched what they did and you started to learn. My father said to me, my father was a, a steam fitter in Pabst Blue Ribbon Brewery. So he worked with his hands and he would always be upset about, you know, why don't they listen to me? You know, why don't they listen to the guy on the line? If, and then he always said to me, he said, Paul, if you're ever the man, listen to the guy on the line. So fast forward, I'm in a restaurant and I'm in the kitchen and then I'm in the, in the dish room and a young man in the dish room would come up to me. He says, Mr. Paul, they don't like the meatloaf. Hmm. I go, what are you talking about? They don't like the meat. He says, and he grabbed me by the arm and he pulled me over to the dish where all the, and it was a, a contract feeding environment, all the, the uh, trays are coming back and they're covered with meatloaf. He says, see, they don't like the meatloaf. I go, you're right. They don't like the meatloaf. And I went, hold on a minute. I went and got the regional manager and the chef. I brought him into the, into the, the dish room. And I said, tell him what he said. And he says, they don't like the meatloaf. And the chef and his whites is all proud. Oh, I make the greatest meatloaf in the, in the country. I said, well, apparently not here because it's all coming back. And he goes, he kept saying, they don't like the meatloaf. And I, and it was, I learned that from my father who said, talk to the people on the line, get to know your folks and listen to them. And that, there's, I have so many other stories like that, but your core values is how you behave no matter what, no matter what is, you always will fall on what's right or wrong. But if you're falling on the right, that's because of your core values. And that's the most important piece, which all ties to the other two, trust and individuality. Well, and I was going to wrap this up in a bow to say what you've just defined as active, intentional leadership, trust, individuality, values. These are non-negotiables. Yeah. And when something is a non-negotiable, this is what defines the foundation upon who we are, how other people matter. 
and how we can fundamentally grow and evolve together, which takes us back to the beginning of the conversation. How can you have growth and sustainability without these three fundamental things that you've just shared with us today, Paul? Paul, do you have one final comment before we break? Yeah, one final comment. And, and uh, you're hearing the end of my career. I will tell you, there are trials and tribulations of things that didn't go right, things that didn't go wrong. But you have to have, you have to have the ability to work with folks who give you another part of grace to fail, to make mistakes. Because if you're not failing and you're not making mistakes, you're not growing, you're not learning. And then when you get that moment, as I did at COVID, that you could pull it all together, you're all prepared to go to battle in this world that's uncertain because everything comes together then. Everything you had learned. So thank you for the opportunity to, to share my, uh, my stories and you know, people who know me, I have about a million stories. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you, Glenn. Paul, I appreciate you. I've uh, been inspired by the humility and grace that you shared with us today and appreciate for helping us understand what leadership really means. And as we end every show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.